0: Active 911 is proud to partner with the Code 3 Podcast. Active 911 designs technology for first responders to help heroes save lives. Learn more at Active911.com.
1: Most people who work for fire-based EMS identify as a firefighter before they'll identify as an EMS worker. I think part of it is that the public views firefighters as putting themselves at risk to benefit others, whereas they don't really see a lot of risk to the EMS worker.
0: From Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighter's Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott.
2: That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Well, I started out today's interview intending to talk about the conflict between fire officers and lower-ranked but certified paramedics. It wasn't long before I got caught up into a discussion about the state of the union of fire versus EMS. It's a hot-button issue for sure. My guest on this edition of Code 3, Wes Ward, says there's a ridiculous gap between the two one that's totally unnecessary. And if you don't know him, Wes has been a battalion chief, serving as director of EMS for Center Point Fire District in Alabama. Before that, he was a fire captain at Birmingham Fire and Rescue. So yes, he's been on both sides of the divide, and he believes there shouldn't even be a divide between fire and EMS. And Wes Ward joins me now. Welcome to Code 3.
1: Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me.
2: It's great to have you here today. So we'll start with the basics. Does the current state of fire rescue services put fire officers in conflict with EMS providers?
1: Wow. Yep. So we just jumped right to the crux of the matter. That's yep. correct. We have a situation, and it's there's outliers. It's not in all departments, but if you look at fire-based EMS in the United States, That's where most of the EMS providers are employed. About 48% of all EMS workers in the United States work for a fire department. Fire departments pretty much universally have a hierarchical rank structure, but many of those fire departments do not require EMS credentials to advance in rank. So you can have medics or non-medics in authoritative positions over usually junior firefighter rank who are transporting patients and this is where um, the conflict comes in because of course those officers are assigned to engine companies or truck companies and the engine or the truck stays on the scene while the transport unit goes off to the hospital and now whatever decisions were made on the scene by the officer have to be defended by the fire medic at the hospital and here, here's where we get a big, big conflict. The officers have the authority, but the junior fire medic has all the responsibility.
2: Right now, doesn't that put the fire officer in a position of having to be magnanimous and let the paramedic do his job?
1: Well, that's right, and and you would hope that that would be the norm, and it probably is the norm. But even if a small percentage of it. Incidents occur where the fire officer overrides the medical judgment of the paramedic, particularly when the circumstance is that the fire officer is not a paramedic. Now we have a true conflict. And so, you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to try to explain to, to folks in the fire service and really is a management and leadership principle is that responsibility and authority are two different things. And and authority, when we talk about, there's different kinds of authority, uh, but when we're talking about legitimate authority that's bestowed on somebody through a rank structure, um, that can be delegated. That authority can can be shared out to subordinates. But responsibility is really the job duties, what you're responsible for. And you can't, you can't delegate that. You can't shirk your responsibility. So that puts us in this position where the fire officer who doesn't participate in the transport of a patient is really responsible, uh, at least in everybody on the scene's mind for the, for the patient outcome. But they don't really have physical control of the patient's outcome in the way that the junior fire paramedic does, who does the transport. And therein lies a big conflict oftentimes what we see is that the officers if they are paramedics they haven't worked uh, at least on a transport unit for quite some time they promoted out of that position and they're usually get behind because emergency medicine and ems is very dynamic changes constantly and to keep up you have to Put your hands on patients you have to visit with the physicians at the hospital you have to do meaningful continuing education pretty regularly and most fire officers aren't really interested in that in their career advancement so uh now you've got really a better qualified junior member taking orders from a sort of antiquated senior member who has authority and this rank structure, this hierarchical organizational structure that we see in the fire service is a very traditional. You know, it, it's really the model of Max Weber's bureaucracy. Max Weber was an economist and a philosopher. I think he died around 1920 or so, and he defined what a bureaucracy is. And most, most fire departments really live by the tenets of what Max Weber wrote about 100 years ago. And, and it seems like a good idea. It's rational. It's also called the rational legal model. And, and it makes sense. And it's really what a lot of what we do in the fire service is based on. It's certainly what instant command structure is based on. Everybody just has one boss. There's a limited span of control. It's very organized. There's a division of labor. There's specialization. In the Weber model, everything looks great for the fire service and it's worked forever on fire scenes and rescue scenes and hazmat scenes. The problem with the Weber model is communication primarily just goes from the top down in the organization. There's not a lot of room for communication to go from the bottom up.
2: Right. And and, and with that in mind, isn't it inevitable that having an officer who's a fire captain or a lieutenant or whatever will lead to that person wanting to make decisions on any scene? I mean, that's the job, right?
1: Yeah, Scott, I think you're really onto something there. I think there's a lot of intangible pressure on the officer to make sure that they're in charge, that they're fulfilling their duty, even when it may not be appropriate for them to make input. And I, I've heard a lot of non-paramedic fire officers say things like, well, the paramedic's in charge of the patient, but I'm in charge of the scene, or Inferring that they're in charge of operational decisions.
2: Well, but but isn't that true? I mean, it's it's their job to be in charge of the scene. Although I think you hit it right on the head. It's the paramedic's job to be in charge of the patient.
1: Yeah, I think that is true. I just think the problem comes where there's overlap. So, for example, t- when to transport is an operational decision and a patient care decision. Where to transport. Is an overlap as well. Hmm. How long to delay transport for various operational reasons, like let's get the guy's cell phone and his wife's number so we can call her and tell her where he's going to the hospital or let, let's do these customer service type activities. Well, that's fine if you have stable vital signs and nondescript abdominal pain. It's probably not fine if the patient's bleeding to death from a gunshot wound. There's a lot of, uh, uh, where the conflict really comes is, in my opinion, for most critical medical patients, EMS should focus on management, management of the patient on the scene. And by contrast, for trauma patients, I think EMS should focus on transport, rapid transport to a surgeon for definitive care. But when you put that into practice, for example, a, a severely acute congestive heart failure patient. You really should make the patient's fluid shift from around the velour space back in the circulation before you move them. You'll you'll get the best outcome. You need to slow down and treat the patient before you move them. That will make an engine lieutenant lose their mind if they're not a up-to-speed paramedic. They don't understand that. They don't want to understand it. They want you off the scene so they can get back in service and get back to being a fire lieutenant. And so the real disconnect there is their identity. How do they view their identity? Well, they view themselves as a fire officer. It's in the name. I'm here for fire suppression. I'm assigned to a fire suppression apparatus. That's my identity. Well, the truth of the matter is, and this is where the the conflict really, really resides. The fire service in the United States is primarily EMS. And likewise, EMS in the United States is primarily the fire service. There's no getting around that. It's what the data shows. To be honest, I wish that weren't true. Because I'm, I'm a firefighter and a, and a former fire officer myself. I like the job of fire suppression. Since 1980, fire responses by U.S. fire departments has gone down 45% and raw numbers has gone down. EMS calls have gone up 521% in the same time period.
2: And oddly enough, you would think that that would make the point, but all it seems to be doing is driving a bigger wedge between the firefighters who are willing to be medics also and the firefighters who just wanted to put water on fire.
1: That's right. I, I joined the fire service in 1994 at Birmingham Fire and Rescue. Uh, at that time, there were guys on the job that would say things like, "I didn't sign up to ride the band aid wagon. Right. I signed up to fight fire." Took a lot of pride in fighting fire, and and at that time, about fifteen or twenty percent of our calls were fire related, and only about forty five to fifty percent were EMS. But now, if you look across the country, including at Birmingham and 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 departments of all sizes around the Birmingham metro area, and it seems to average out across the country. You're looking at fire-related calls under 4% of total call volume, EMS calls around 70%, and really those numbers are skewed because of the way NIFRS classifies uh, call type. I would argue that most of the calls that are classified as other or service calls are really EMS calls. Where nobody wanted to write a PCR, so they they made sure that not to make it a 300 code type. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um, I mean, that's just the reality, you know. There's a few things that are universally true, and one of the universal truths is that nobody likes to write a patient care report. So, um,
2: <laughs> even the people who like being medics—that's
1: right—they still don't like writing the report. Nobody likes writing reports, so I think the numbers are even even skewed way farther towards EMS than um, than what the NIFRS data shows. And, you know, there's a lot of pushback to, to these facts. Uh, these aren't ideas or speculations on my part. I'm getting those that data from the NFPA reported in an article, a data sheet from 1980 to 2021, and those are the numbers that I'm using. And that's all from NIFRS reporting. So, of course, it doesn't capture departments that don't report their NIFRS data, but that's a very low number. It also includes some really big departments that don't do EMS at all. So I think the numbers for the average department are skewed really heavily towards EMS, even more than, than what I'm saying. Yeah. People misunderstand when I talk on this subject a lot of times and think that I'm attacking the fire service or the need for fire suppression, and that's not it at all. I think that we should be doing more to be prepared for fire suppression. I'm a strong advocate for good fire suppression departments, for fire suppression training that's continuous and helpful and, and produces better outcomes, and, of course, for firefighter safety. And I want, I want enough firefighters on the job that are equipped and trained to safely extinguish whatever's on fire. That's not my goal. My goal is to say, hey, we got to do more there, but we're hardly doing anything. For EMS, and EMS has become the job. It's what we do the most of. It's where all of our risk is, is an EMS. It's where all of our opportunity to truly serve our community is really an EMS.
2: I'll be back with more right after this.
0: Looking to decrease your response times? With Active Alert, get calls straight to your phone from dispatch via the app. Available for Android, iPhones, and tablets. Plus, get directions to the scene, have all CAD notes in one place, see who's responding, and quickly identify nearby map markers like hydrants and preplans. With a low per-device price, Active Alert is a must-have tool for first responders. See for yourself why it's trusted by thousands of firefighters nationwide. Start your free child today at Active911.com.
2: I don't know if my experience is typical, but I've run into a lot of paramedics working for ambulance companies who, when you ask them, will say, "Well, my goal is to get on with the fire department."
1: Well, that's true, and and I think that's mostly motivated by a compensation. But there's also it goes back to that identity crisis we kind of touched on. You know, I've observed over the years, and I I think it's I think it's interesting if you get yourself in a social a circle, maybe a, you know, you're at a Rotary Club meeting or a, a, a at a church Bible study or some social interaction that where there's nobody there except for yourself that's involved in the fire service or an EMS, and people say, well, introduce themselves and say, well, what do you do? You know, usually, no matter what their rank is, no matter what they really do on the job, they say, well, I'm a firefighter. I work for whatever. I, I work for, you know, uh, Nashville Fire Department or, or whatever department they work for. But then when you look, what they really do is they work on a transport unit. You know, they went to one fire this month and they transported 300 patients to the hospital and 30 of those patients were critically ill or injured and they made a positive outcome, a positive difference in, their, in that in those patients' outcomes. But they, they still identify as a firefighter they don't say i'm a paramedic and i work for birmingham fire and rescue they say i'm a firefighter
2: and that i find kind of strange because they are literally saving lives but they're not doing it in a fire scene and to them it's that counts for less
1: yeah i'm not sure what it is i think it's a a social phenomena that that most people who work for fire-based EMS identifies a firefighter before they'll identify as an EMS worker. I think part of it is that the public views firefighters as putting themselves at risk to benefit others, whereas they don't really see a lot of risk to the EMS worker and their line of work. Now, that's debatable, by the way, how true that is, but I, I certainly think that's the profession, and so it seems a bit more heroic to identify as a firefighter. I think that's part of the part of the the reasoning. I'm just not sure. I also think the the pope pu- the public is woefully uneducated about what EMS does. I don't think the average American really understands the difference between an emergency medical responder and a paramedic.
2: Well, they still sometimes call them ambulance attendants.
1: Sure, or ambulance yeah. driver. You know, that's the. That's the hot button uh, label that really gets firefighters worked up, right? Call them an ambulance driver and see how long it takes to, to, for the first punch to be thrown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of the private EMS workers are looking for jobs in the fire service. And, and there's lots of dynamics here at play. The fire service generally pays better. It's generally more respected. It generally has better benefits. And, you know, the dynamic on where the workforce is, has really changed. In 2020, um, kind of a really comprehensive uh, report of the demography of the EMS workforce in the United States was published, and it showed that in 2020, 48% of EMS workers in the United States work for fire departments, only 21% work for private ambulance companies. And, and, and private ambulance is the second most common category. And there's about five or six other categories that have a small percentage that make out the balance. But I, w- I would venture that in that 1980, those numbers were completely inverted, that most EMS providers work for ambulance companies in the United States. Most, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of, of respondents to that study said that their primary job function was 911 response. I think it was 85% actually. So, most EMS workers work for a fire department and view 911 response as their primary job duty. So, if we look at that, we think, wow, what changed? Well, what's changed is CMS doesn't reimburse for transport on 911 calls at a rate that anybody can make a profit. So that has to be subsidized by government. The easiest way to do that is to insert EMS into the fire, local fire department. Uh, you can't make a money from most patient populations just running 911 calls for EMS. The, the profitability in private EMS all resides in scheduled patient transfers and convalescent care. That, that's a big difference. And that's probably why, Scott, why you hear a lot of private ambulance people wanting to get to the fire service is because by and large, the fire service is making the 911 calls. And that's what those medics want to do. They want to make 911 calls. They don't want to transfer people from hospital to hospital or nursing home to hospital or nursing home to home. And they also don't really want to be community paramedics. You know, there's a lot of talk about community paramedicine and mobile integrated healthcare, care. And those are all great ideas. I hope that we progress on those ideas in the United States because I think it's what the public needs.
2: But nobody wants to be the people doing them. They want somebody else to do it.
1: I don't know of any medics that, that are friends of mine who are out there pursuing a job as a community paramedic. They just don't want to do that kind of work. They want to respond to emergencies that's what they trained for and that's what they've sacrificed a lot to get the privilege to do. So it's really kind of a broken system right now. And as for many things, the fire department is the answer. And on the flip side of that EMS is kind of the answer for the fire service, because if we look at a 45% reduction in fire calls, right over 41 years, 45% reduction in fire calls across the United States, well that means we don't need as many firefighters as we did 40 years ago.
2: Man, you don't want to say that because that'll just lead to more fists.
1: I know, I know, that's right, right. And and I agree, I don't that's the last thing I want too is to, for there to be less firefighters. But the way you keep the firefighters is you perform EMS work because that's what the public demands. That's where the need is. And we, you know, we call have to kind of stop and remember why we got into fire service in the first place. Now, I think if you ask most people and if they're honest, they got into fire service because they really have a strong public service motivation. They truly want to help other people. They want to be the answer when disaster strikes. That's their motivation. It's a unique uh, set of personality traits that motivates somebody to go into the fire service. It's very honorable. Um, I think those are the same personality traits that motivate somebody to be a good EMS worker. We've just got to abandon this ridiculous gap between fire and EMS and realize it's the same team. It's the same people. It's the same mission. We're serving the same citizens. We need to embrace it instead of fight against it.
2: Wes Ward, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Well, there we go. As the kids say, we went there. What do you think? As always, you can find more info and leave your comments on our website. This one's at Code3Podcast.com slash Service War. All one word, Service War. Take a look and leave a comment if you wish. And if you've enjoyed this interview or it pissed you off, please tell a friend about Code 3. That's the best way to grow the audience, and I'd appreciate it. Your friend will probably appreciate it too, depending on where they stand. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe.
0: To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.